0: Well, thanks to the band and the choir for leading us so well this morning in worship. I do have to ask, the choir, I mean, come on, temperatures are colder this week, but snow, you're already talking about snow? Let's just hold that off as long as we possibly can, okay? Come on, come on, you crazy Denver people. September, you're talking about snow. I don't understand it. Hey, good morning to everyone. Glad you are here this morning. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend, especially if it's your first time here, maybe your first time in a long time. You are such an honored guest. As Ryan said, fill out that connection card for us. We'd love to get to meet you, get to know you a little bit better. Turn that into the Welcome Center, the I'm New table, and we'll uh, uh, give you a gift, say hello, tell you how to get more involved in this church and all that we feel like God is doing in this place. uh, Speaking of the fall, though, and cooler temperatures and and new seasons and all that, we are in the middle of a new fall sermon series called Better Together. Uh, For those of you who weren't able to join us last week as we kicked that off, two things. One is we charged your credit card twice during the offertory, just to let you know. it's what happens when you're not here. And then secondly, uh, we want to fill you in right now on what we talked about as we kind of laid out our heart and our hopes uh, for this series Uh, Let me pray, though, for us before we begin, and then we'll dive into God's word together. Father, would you speak to us now, because your word is living and active. It is truth. It is water. It is uh, that which replenishes and fills us and spurs us on to do good works. And so, God, would your word come alive to us now? Would it do all that you have promised that it will and can do in this very moment? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this is kind of the gist of our new series, Better Together. Uh, if you think about it, some things were just made for one another. There are great examples in the world, chips and queso, tacos and Tuesdays, Netflix and binging, Converse and high socks. I mean, these things just go together. They are all pretty good uh, individually or by themselves, but boy, they are so much better when they are together. And what's true with uh, different foods or different Hollywood characters, even different cultural trends is especially true when it comes to different generations in the church. You see, God designed the church to be full of every age and folks from every life stage because according to him, the one who made each and every one of us, as well as the one who originally called the church into being, according to him, we're a lot better together. We see this in the Psalms that talk about one generation proclaiming God's faithfulness to another generation, especially the younger and the next generation. We see this in biblical partnerships like Samuel and Eli, Elijah and Elisha, Ruth and Naomi, where there's these moments in Scripture, these moments in God's narrative where one generation is adopting and, and taking on and strengthening another Generation. We see this in the analogies that the biblical writers use to describe the church, right? The language, the analogy of uh, the body. There's all these different parts like there are on our bodies, but all of them come together every age, every life stage to form one unit that is perfectly unified. Or the phrase family of believers that we see in the Bible. This idea that as a church gathered, it's supposed to be every generation gathering to laugh with one another, to love on each other, grandbabies, grandparents, and everybody in between. That's how it's supposed to be. It is clear in the Bible that the church is at its best. The church is fully alive. The church is the way God intended it to be when it is full of every generation, when every age is together. And again, that's because we are better together. And so last week we talked about how in this series, over the next six or seven weeks, we're gonna do all that we can to live out these passages and at the same time combat this ageism that we see So prevalent in our world today, this dynamic where uh, generations stay away from each other at best, or where they literally fight against each other at worst. And so we want to do our part to uh, model something so different, to celebrate and champion the uniquenesses, the blessings, the goodness of each generation, and how in the church God can and already has used each generation to do incredible good. Uh, We're also going to present different opportunities for you to get to know the different generations, as well as opportunities to serve these different generations, because I want us to connect, not just talk about it. I want us to incarnate this truth and put it in the flesh, put it into action. You with me? This morning I'm excited that we will kick things off by talking about our oldest generation, uh, one that is commonly referred to or known as the silent generation. Uh, This particular generation is made up of those who were born between the ages of 1925 and 1945, Uh, so right now they'd be currently in their 70s or 80s, and according to certain polls, there are about 20 million silent generationers, if you will, living in America today. Uh, I would love to know, though, who is of the silent generation in our church today. So if you are 70 or 80 years old, would you just raise your hand for us real fast so we can recognize you? So we have a good portion of Silent Generation folks in the crowd today. Uh, I am not of that generation, but I'm going to try to be speaking to or about that generation. So uh, come and correct me afterward uh, if, I, if I mess this up. Uh, the Silent Generation started off as children of crisis. See, they grew up while older people, mainly older family members and and close friends, were fighting in the war and making great sacrifices on their behalf. Uh, A vast majority of this particular generation did not fight in the war themselves, but the war forever shaped their world and their reality, uh, both during World War II and especially after. Uh, The post-war world was marked by a level of relative peace, stability, and financial opportunity that the world, especially America, had never really known before, and the silent generation took full advantage of that beautiful combination of different dynamics. Let me share some fun and interesting facts with you about this particular generation. Uh, In the 1950s, and many of our silents were growing up, uh, the average income was about $5,000 a year. A gallon of gas was 20 cents. A dozen eggs would cost you 79 cents, and a loaf of bread was 12 cents. Here's some other cool cultural references or interesting facts about this generation. Uh, Credit cards were introduced at the time, as were the black and white television and the transition radio. Uh, I Love Lucy premiered. The term rock and roll was coined. The very first James Bond novel was published. And the Mickey Mouse Club aired for the very first time. A little food chain called McDonald's opened its doors. The ever-popular hula hoop was invented, as were things like frozen TV dinners, NASA, and the polio vaccine. Uh, Elvis Presley came out with his first major hit and started shaking his hips for all to see, uh, much to the delight of teenage girls and much to the chagrin of the parents of those teenage girls. And soon after, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that racial segregation in schools was unconstitutional A woman by the name of Rosa Parks refused to sit in the back of the bus. It was an interesting time to be a young person in America, to say the least. There were so many good things happening, but so many tumultuous and difficult things at the same time. But I don't want you to just uh, take my word for it. I want you to hear from this generation, so watch this.
1: My daddy delivered me. It was snowing and the doctor couldn't come and mother always had a midwife, she couldn't come either. So it was daddy's turn. She said, well, this is our seventh child. You surely know what to do. So anyway, he delivered me. I was the last of five children and we were all
2: born at home. And my brother that was eight years older than me, he said, I didn't know what was happening, it was a lark. They said, you're gonna go and spend the night at the neighbor's and he said, and they told us hunting stories and we just had a great time and we came home and there you were.
1: <laughs> I was born at home and mother, in case this happened, um, she had a friend that was a midwife and that's how it all happened.
3: I was born at home at La Porte which is very close to Fort Collins. But I grew up at Louviers, Colorado from uh, from second, I'm two years old when I moved down there.
4: You might not want to believe this, but I I worked in the fields the summer that I was five years of age, uh, crawling through the field with my siblings, uh, thinning the beets.
2: I would go with my older brothers and sisters, and we picked because um, we made money for our school clothes. My mother raised five of us on a widow's pension, so we all chipped
1: in. I got to walk through this field of baby chickens and pick up any that were injured and put them in my basket because if they had a little injury on them, the other chickens would kill them. We had um, an old fashioned coal range in the house that had a big reservoir on it. And uh, so one of my jobs was to carry water to that reservoir and keep it filled so there'd be hot water. That's
2: what that's what we had to do. We, we worked and the schools never started till after Labor Day, because the crops had to be brought in. I started
1: the school at a country school, which was just like Little House on the Prairie. It was, it was just, I got to sit on the teacher's lap one after lunch, you know when they read the book.
3: <laughs> well, we had a good high school at Castle Rock. I had a class of 33. big class. We could walk uptown to lunch. We could walk up to the elementary school for lunch. Uh, it, was, it was a good school.
5: And grade school was grade school was uh, six grades in three rooms that everybody walked to. I had three teachers was all of six years for grade school because each teacher taught two grades.
1: I loved to play out around the barns, crawl around through the mangers and the hay, and pet the horses.
3: We rode our bikes hours and hours at a time. We used to play cowboys and Indians on our bikes.
5: The common curfew was that you, uh, came home when the streetlights came on. And if you didn't, you didn't get to go out until the next, t- t- for a day or two at that. Sundays
4: in our home <clears throat> was like a school. If the doors were open, we were there, morning and night.
3: Uh, the minister always came from somewhere in Littleton. We, he didn't live at, the, at DeVere's, but our minister was, and we always had had church every Sunday. We had vacation Bible school every summer.
2: When we were teenagers, we went with the youth group to the Cow Palace in San Francisco and heard Billy Graham.
5: We, I, we both accepted Christ at the Billy Graham at the Cow Palace.
1: It was a small congregation. We didn't have a full time pastor. That's the first time I'd met a lady that preached. That was something different, and she was very nice. I thought that was okay. Christmas was pretty skimpy, and um, and we never we never had a tree. Uh, there we there was nowhere to get evergreen. She'd have to go into town and buy them off a truck. There wasn't money to do that. They sold these net red stockings,
2: and they had. Oranges and apples and walnuts and always candy canes in them and we didn't get a lot of candy so That
1: that was great always. We got to have that
2: under the tree
1: The only thing that marred my childhood was the war We were when President Roosevelt told us that the Japanese had just bond, bombed Pearl Harbor We it was Sunday and we were sitting around the table. Not all the boys were there, but most of them. And I remember mother looking at him and saying, oh. She said, they'll take my boys. <laughs> I didn't understand. I was only eight years old. So I didn't understand what she meant. She explained to me later, but it was, it was a sad day.
3: A lot of the guys, younger guys had to go to the war and uh, we lost one of my best friends, sons was lost. And, uh, but that that was what was going on was World War II and not a happy time.
4: We uh, uh, shipped out uh, overseas uh, and uh, on the way, the atomic bomb was dropped. And uh, really saved us because Okinawa was the staging area for that invasion.
1: I really think our family paid the price. As all of them. I mean, there wasn't a neighbor that didn't either lose somebody or didn't know where they were or, you know, it was that was that was a hard time. It was a hard war, because every family was affected.
5: If you said you were going to do something, or you agreed with something, then that's what your word was and
1: is. Always, always, no matter if it's going to hurt you, tell, be honest, tell the truth. Honesty. You didn't cheat a neighbor. I mean, Daddy would, was so adamant when he sold grain and, and that's how he taught the boys. But yeah, honesty. If you were gonna take on a job, you were gonna be a, a
2: a dependable, hard worker. You were gonna follow through. You weren't gonna be sick every other day because I don't feel like going to work. it was just
1: in- instilled in you, that you try to always be at your job uh, on time and do the very best job you know how.
5: And each, and and owning up to your own responsibilities. That That was taught to both of our families.
3: It was a wonderful place to grow up. Everybody was understanding and helped anybody and everybody and it was just a good place to grow up
4: i loved the farm because i had a pony to ride and i had a I had a dog to play with it was
5: just a happy days very naive age
1: you know you're just thankful for what you learned when you were young and I am just thankful for the childhood I had.
0: I don't know about you, I could listen to those stories all day, man. I can't thank those who shared uh, enough for, for giving us a little bit of insight into their world, their childhood, their generation. Special thanks to John for putting together that video and going through hours of footage to help us uh, just capture who our senior saints truly are. Uh, side note, I'm excited that, that right now downstairs in our, in our children's ministry during their kind of junior church uh, they're having representatives from each generation just come and talk to the kids. And so they are they're right alongside of us as we're going through this Better Together series. And so uh, there's some folks down there talking uh, face-to-face about what it was like to grow up during that time. So super proud of Char for, uh, for doing that. Uh, there are several theories out there as to why the silent generation was given that particular title. Uh, many believe that it comes from the mantra of the time that children were to be seen and not heard. All right, families had endured so many heartaches and hardships, so much pain because of the war, even as far back as the Great Depression, that older generations demanded that youth be quiet, obedient, appreciative, and basically inconspicuous. Because of that, or maybe in addition to that, some historians have called them the silent generation because they are much quieter on a lot of social issues or other things than their parents or grandparents were. On the whole, those in this generation are not very outspoken or demanding or aggressive. Praise the Lord for you. In fact, the silent generation, little side note, is the only one to have never produced a U.S. president um, because many of them don't enjoy that power play. Although there might be some truth to the fact that this generation is a little quieter or more silent on things, I believe with all of my heart that they have so much to say so much to teach us, in fact, as it pertains especially to faith. And I think this generation, although they're called the sound generation, I think they shout out several lessons that many of us need to learn, either for the first time or maybe be reminded of. Several of them were hinted at in the video, but I want to bring two to your attention this morning. The first is that working hard is truly an act of worship. 1 Corinthians 4.12 says, we work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless When we're persecuted, we endure it. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work hard with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so you will not be dependent on anybody. In Colossians three twenty three and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. As I sit and watch this video or listen to the stories of our silent generation, these three verses not only come to mind, but they come alive. Do they not? Uh, working hard, uh, long hours, I mean, especially as it uh, pertains to or entails physical labor or manual labor, doing things that are trying or taxing or very demanding, they've almost become a crime today, haven't they? You want me to do what? For how long? And for how much? But for our silence, working hard, it's just a way of life. I mean, what I call or consider hard work fails miserably in comparison to what they know to be hard work. See, I complain if the internet goes down for a few seconds. They work their tail off till the sun went down. I assume I've worked hard if I break a sweat. It's not hard work for them until you break a bone or two. And I won't bend down to pick up a quarter. Well, they worked for an entire day in the fields for a quarter. I'm being a bit facetious here. I know that we all tend to roll our eyes when the old people start talking about how hard they had it and walking to school both ways uphill in the snow with like a wild boar chasing them, right? It's like, how is that even possible, man? But our silence, they know what it means to work to put in really long days, to endure hardship, and to fully devote yourself to the task at hand, even if and especially if it's not very glamorous or rewarding or or easy. From working all day in the fields to working in the factories to working in the mines, our silence, they live out the biblical mandate to work hard with your hands and to see that work as an expression of worship. I'm not sure if you were around this summer. I told the story of washing my hair in a toilet bowl. You can go back online and listen to that. It was pretty awkward. I had a silence stop me afterward. He said, well, I can one-up you on that one. He said he had worked all day long in the coal mines, and he was covered with soot from head to toe, and he walked into the house, and his wife said, honey, uh, we're out of water uh, the, the toilet is no longer working, the, the pipe's no longer working, the sink's no, nothing, nothing's, nothing's working at all. And he was just covered. And so the only water in his home was that which was sitting in the toilet bowl itself. And so he said he took a bath that night with the water from the toilet bowl. And I felt a lot better about myself after that moment. But so you just had to do what you had to do back then, right? And after a hard day of work, you didn't complain or gripe or say, man, I'm owed a hot bath and a massage and a day off tomorrow. No, you can wash your face off in the toilet bowl if you'd like. That's just kind of what you did, because you had to do it. And I'm aware that many of us don't work in the same environments or the same conditions, uh, but I do think that many of us have lost, we've lost sight of what it means to work hard, really hard, for the Lord's sake and for the Lord's glory. You see, it's so easy for us to take the easy way out, to find ways to avoid or, or skirt around difficult and demanding jobs and situations, right? It, it could be in school where we ditch class or we skip an assignment or two or we settle for a D because like they say at Pepperdine, man, D still gets you the degree, right? A D gets you a degree, or maybe it's at work where we spend a little bit too much time on our, on our personal business or cruising the internet or playing games, cutting corners. Maybe it's at home where certain projects just go unfinished for months on end because you, you can't find the energy or the motivation to finish your, finish your honey-do list. Whatever it is, we have to understand that working hard is a witness to the Lord. Working hard is a form of worship unto the Lord. That passage in Colossians makes it clear. You aren't studying hard, students, for the teacher's sake or to get the grade. You're doing it for and unto the Lord. Those who are in the workplace, you aren't going to work every day and putting in long hours and doing the nine-to-five grind for your boss or to get a paycheck. You were to do it for and unto the Lord. Moms, you aren't juggling the kids and the house and the chores and the shopping and all the church stuff just for your family's sake. You're doing it for and unto the Lord. And those in the silent generation seem to grasp this. Working hard is actually a form of worship. And I find it amazing and somewhat baffling, even to this day, that some of our most active volunteers at West Bowls, guess what generation they come from? The silent generation. These are the ones that still are out there shoveling the snow and mowing the lawns and listen to verses at Awana. They are still busting their tails because for them, that's what you're supposed to do in this life. That's why you've been given life and you do it up until the end of your life. Our work ethic, church, might just be one of our greatest forms of worship. It's a way that we contribute to the redemption of the world. It's a way that we help and serve and witness to others. It's a way that we bring glory to God himself. I know there needs to be balance here, and I'm, I'm a play hard kind of guy. I get that. But I think that a lot of the younger generations has lost sight of how hard we are to work in this world. Um, I'm gonna play hard, but I also need to work really hard and I want to challenge many of you to follow in the footsteps of the silent generation see your work as a form of worship stop cutting corners stop complaining stop looking for taking shortcuts stop taking the easy way out work hard at everything and do it for God's sake because that's who you are really doing it for Something else this particular generation has taught us and modeled for us so well, something they brought up on the video several times, is that your word is your bond. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus said this, Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't, because anything beyond this is from the evil one. See, today most of our yeses are, "Eh, if I get around to it, I will. Most of our yeses are, "Eh, if it's convenient and works out in my schedule, I'll go ahead and do that. Or if I remember to do it and and, and it, and it, it works out for me, then it will be a yes. Most of our yeses today, in all honesty, are maybes, aren't they? We say yes, but we really mean maybe. And I love that Facebook actually gives you that option. Will you show up at this event on Facebook? Yes, no, or maybe? You click on maybe, what in the world do I now know that I didn't know before? nothing is that a yeah i'm gonna be there if it works out or no there's no chance but i want to be polite what is maybe even mean and that's the world that we live in it's a maybe mentality and yet jesus says that if and when we commit to doing something if and when we say yes to it we need to always follow through with it It sounds like back in the first century there was a lot of hee-hawing or fence riding when it came to doing what you said. That's why Jesus brought this up. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't give me an explanation for why it's a possibility or don't tell me maybe if you get around to doing it or don't swear by somebody that it will work. Just say yes you will or no you won't. Mean it and then follow through with it. And this is something I truly have learned from the silent generation. Maybe more than anything else, man, when they tell you something, when, when they tell me that they're gonna commit to something or do something or follow through with something, I never question it. It's like I know for a fact they're gonna do it and they're actually gonna do it better than they even promised to do it. There are other generations where I'm like, I need to follow up or send that you know, email or make sure I double, triple check with so-and-so. I don't ever have to do that with a silent generation. It's like so-and-so committed to it, praise the Lord, it's gonna get done. It's such a great blessing that you give to people when you keep your word. Uh, and I have to admit, I've gotten in trouble several times over the years, especially as a pastor, when I commit to doing something for a member of the silent generation and then forget to follow through with it. They, like, call me out, grab me by the shirt, I'm like, I'm sorry. It's like, you said you would. And your word is a promise. Your word is, is a commitment. Why, why didn't you do what you said? They have the right to get mad because our word truly is our bond. It's a commitment, a pledge, not only to to other people, but to the Lord. Think about the song that we sang this morning. All your promises, God, are yes and amen. What if God didn't come through on all of his promises? What if he just kind of picked which ones he wanted to follow through with and other ones like, ah, I just forgot about that one. It just wasn't as important to me. What if every promise of God wasn't yes? What, What does that do in your mind, in your heart? Makes you doubt, doesn't it? makes you start to question, well, are, are you gonna come through on this one, Lord, or not? Are, are you gonna really do what you said you, are, you were gonna do in this area or not? Because that one time you, you messed up, these, these four times you said yes, but that one time you said maybe, and then it didn't really happen. So Lord, I don't know when I can trust you. See the importance of always saying yes when you say yes, of always meaning it? That's what trust and commitment, that's what dedication is built on when I know for a fact the Lord is gonna come through because he always does. I want that to be said of me as well. I know Thomas will always come through because when he says he will, he always does. I want us to be a people who make commitments and keep them, a people who say one thing and always follow through with it. I want us to be a people who don't skirt around the truth but always tell the truth. I want us to be people who mean what they say and, and say what they mean in our silence. Man, you have modeled that so well for us, something that I'm, I'm so honored to have learned from you, and I hope that we as a church will continue to do that. Uh, in your honor and and, in the honor of the Lord. I wish we had more time to uh, continue talking about this generation, man. There's so many life lessons that they have brought to the table, that they have lived out and embodied for us over the years, but those two in particular uh, really struck a nerve with me, really touched my heart as I was watching that video. I'm gonna invite the band back up as we bring the service to a, a close, but I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you this week, my friends. I want you to go out of your way uh, next few days, next few weeks, I want you to get to know and I want you to befriend someone from the silent generation. Somebody who is 70 or 80 or 90 years old, I want you to take them to lunch. <laughs> Excuse me, I want you to hang out with them in their living room. I want you to go sit with them or sing with them at their retirement home. Ask about the war. Ask about Elvis' hips. Ask about the company, the one company they worked for for 40 years. Make it a point to spend time in this life with someone who's coming closer to the end of their life. Make it a point in this life to spend time with someone who's in a very different stage of life. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you make time to do that? Not just veg out on TV or do all your hobbies and your sports or spend time with the people that are in your same exact life stage. Why would you do that? Because you are better together. We are better together. And as you spend time with that older generation, I think you'll experience that firsthand. Let me pray that over you, and we'll sing a final song, and we'll be done. God, would you you help us to honor and respect our senior saints? We thank you so much for those in this church who are part of the silent generation, even the GI generation, God. They have seen and experienced things that we can't even begin to fathom. And their faithfulness to you is such a testimony, God. Their work ethic is such a testimony to you. Their, their word being their bond is such a testimony to you, God. They have taught other generations so well what it looks like to work hard and to do what they've committed to do. Would we now honor them and honor you by, by living in that same light? And this week, would many in this room find themselves talking with, even if it's a stranger at a restaurant or maybe someone they care deeply about in this church, would they go out of their way to connect with someone from a different generation? Would they realize that they don't have to be alone anymore in this life, that we are better together and you have given us this church, this body, this family to do life with. Would we take full advantage of it, God, and model that for the world? Make it so now as we lift you up in praise. In Jesus' name, amen.